Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital, where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join Pastors Michael and Heather Giroux in their passion to help you live your best life. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging and uplifting message. Citizen Heights. Let's go ahead and turn together to John chapter 4, verse 23. Today we begin a new series. How many like new things? I love new things, and it's a new season, and we're going to dive into a new series today on the topic of worship. We're going to talk about worship, true worship, genuine worship, heart-releasing worship, miracle-provoking worship. We're talking about the art of worship, okay? So I hope you can join us, and I'm going to invite you to come back for the, for the next three weeks as we cover and make a, uh, make a point to tune in for all three installments as we learn the why and the wonder of worship together. There is a power, and there is a potential in biblical worship. So we want to learn about biblical worship. We want to be informed, right? Don't you? You want to be informed, but even more, we want to become worshipers. So our text today says God is looking for worshipers. So let's dive in. John chapter 4, verse 23. I want to take a look with you. It says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Worshipers. The Father is looking for worshipers who will worship Him. First thing we do is we want to acknowledge this morning as the, the weather is shifting outside, uh, winter is approaching, and I don't know if you've noticed or not, we've talked a little bit about it becoming sweater season, but I want you to know it's officially soup season as well, right? We got sweater and soup season. In fact, I have a bowl of soup right here with me. Check it out. Yeah, that's the magic right here. Here it is. Oh, yeah, you can smell it. It smells so good. And uh, if you can smell that, that's because that's in the lobby and that's in Citizen Hall uh, here at church. And so if you can smell it, if you're joining us at Tenley Town or if you're joining us at our Dulles campus, you are actually smelling soup right now. You're not imagining it. Why? Because it's soup season. That's why, because we're setting up right now the Soup for You station. We've got the Soup for You station, and uh, that'll be open after each experience for the next three weeks at each campus. Why? We want you to enjoy soup. It's as simple as that, to try, try different types of soup. We've got chicken. I think we've got chicken noodle today, chicken and rice. We've got some squash and pasta of, of soup as well. But you can try different soups each week because it is soup 
season. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's soup season. Go ahead, tell your other neighbor, it's soup season. And let's acknowledge something. Soup is so good. There's no explanation for why we wouldn't and shouldn't eat it more. Right? We should eat it all the time. Why do we save soup for a season when it's sensational all the time? It tastes good. It smells good. It makes you feel good. It's easy to make. It's easy to clean up. It's easy on your digestive system. Right? Soup is good. Why do we save it for a season? Really, we should do soup more. Anybody with me? We should do soup more. And what I want to talk to you today about is is worship, because we should do the same thing with worship. We save it sometimes for a season, a tough time, when things are upside down, or, or maybe when there's a big breakthrough, when things are incredibly good. We save worship, but worship is something we should be doing all the time. There is no in-season, out-of-season for worship, because worship is always good. We, we wouldn't and we shouldn't save it for a season. We really should worship more. We should soup more, and we should worship more. How does this connect? Well, we're talking today about the art of worship. And, and really, we want to become proficient in this art form of worship. And great art is more than just the expression of the artist, right? It's more than the artist's expression, and, and great art is more than the viewer's subjective interpretation, Great art is more than that. Really, great art is an invitation to see what the artist loves. Do you hear what I'm saying? Great art is an invitation to see the world through the artist's eyes and what he loves. And and I'll give you a case in point. Andy Warhol, in the 60s, his work became, and if you notice our sermon bumper and and our graphic, it's really modeled after his pop culture look and, and his perspective. If it looks familiar, that's because it's really Warhol's work. And his work challenged the world of fine art. And, and one of the unique attributes of his paintings and his prints were that, is that they were typically inspired by eclectic subject matter. He had uh, Coke, Coke cans, uh, Coca-Cola cans, money, uh, movie stars, and soup. Campbell soup cans. He would paint them. He would do prints of them. And they would ask questions. Why is he painting these cans? Why, why is this his focus? Is it social commentary? Is it a reflection of society? And the mystery was finally solved when he answered the question. The reason he painted soup cans, the reason he painted Campbell's soup cans, is that he loved soup. It really was that simple. He loved Campbell's soup. He had a taste for Coca-Cola. He loved money. He admired movie stars. Warhol's art was inspired by the things he held close to his heart. So the art of worship, it's an expression, but it's an invitation to see what we love. You can see what I love by what I worship, what I hold close to my heart. And we are a worshiping church, aren't we? Come on, try out that amen this morning. We are a worshiping church. We don't just love music. We don't just love melodies. We don't just love fresh beats. We don't just love the orchestration and the the performance. We love worshiping because we love God. So what is worship? That's, That's the one question we'll answer today. What is worship? We're talking about the art of worship. So what is it? And whenever you do... um a topical study in the Bible, 
you really need to make sure your, your definitions are more attached to Hebrew and Greek than they are Miriam and Webster, okay? So we're not going to open the dictionary to get a definition of worship. We're going to open the Bible, and we, we, when you want God's design, you have to let God define, right? And so we want God to define what worship is. And so the definition of praise and worship, it's best found in the Bible. And in the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek, And so we have two different languages, and there happens to be two main Hebrew words in the Old Testament that are used, and two main Greek words in the New Testament that are used. And we we would loosely translate them worship, but they have a different connotation. And and leaving the words themselves for a future week, uh, I want to get to this point. Both reveal, both these Hebrew words and Greek words, they both reveal that worship has a dual aspect. Okay, so I want you to follow this with me. They have a dual aspect. And what they reveal is worship is both an attitude and it's an action. Hear me now. Worship is both an attitude and an action. In the Bible, worship has a dual aspect, an attitude of the heart and an action of the body. An attitude of the heart, but an action of the body. Another way to think of this dual aspect is a revelation and a response. Are you getting that? An attitude or an action, a revelation or a response. Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 8, it contains a passage and it's entitled in the Bible, An Example of Worship. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. It's an example of worship and in it we discover worship involves two things. Verse 1 through 4 is a revelation. God reveals himself and Isaiah becomes aware of God's presence revelation. And then verses 5 through 8, Isaiah responds to the presence, responds to that awareness. So there's a revelation, and then there's a response to the, there's a revelation of the presence of God, and then there's a response. And once you get that inward revelation spiritually, there's an outward response physically. It is an attitude and an action. It is a revelation and a response. And this duality was recognized and referred to in part in our passage today. Jesus says in John 4, he says, spirit and in truth. He says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There'll be an attitude, there'll be an action. There'll be a revelation, there will be a response. And the Father is looking for worshipers. God is looking for worshipers who worship from the heart, but also according to his how. Did you hear that? God is looking for worshipers who worship from the heart, but according to his how. So this duality was recognized by some of the most prolific scholarly voices on the topic of worship. This duality was recognized. I want to just give you a couple of quotes um, to illustrate this. One comes from A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer says, Worship is to feel in your heart get it, feel in your heart, and express in some appropriate manner a delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder at the overwhelming, overpowering love of the presence of our Father. So he's talking about worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner. To feel in your heart, to express it in an appropriate manner. James White said this, he said, worship involves the assembly of God's people deliberately seeking to approach reality 
at its deepest level by becoming aware of God in and through Jesus Christ. And then it says this, and by responding to this awareness. So again, we have becoming aware and responding to the awareness. Becoming aware and responding. Worship is is the believer's response of all that God is, mind, emotion, will, body, to all that God is and says and does. So this response uh, is, we're we're told by uh, John White that this response has a mystical side in a subjective experience, and it's a practical side in an objective obedience. So it has a mystical side of subjective experience, and it's got a practical side in objective obedience to God's revealed truth. He goes on to say, it's a loving response, and it is a deepening response as the believer comes to know God better. You hear what he's saying? There's a subjective experience, but then an objective obedience. There's a loving response, but yet it's the art of worship. It's, it's deepening and it's growing. So what is worship? We see the duality, but I want to give, give you a brief summarizing phrase so you have a handle of something to take with you. And we're going to define it as this over the next few weeks. Living in awe of God. Living in awe of God. And, and really, there's two sides to that same coin that duality of worship, but living in awe of God. And we'll hit one side of the coin this week, and we'll save another for uh, a future week. But living in awe of God, the focus is on who God is. The focus is on what God has done. The focus is on what God has said. And the psalmist was in awe of God, and he was in awe of God for a good reason. We read in Psalm 68, the psalmist writes, and this is David, he says, sing to God. He says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Verse six says this, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Praise God. Live in awe of God. And we live in awe of God because he's a father to the fatherless. He's the defender of widows. He sets the lonely in families. He leads out prisoners with singing. He daily bears our burdens. The closer you get to God, the more in awe of God you become. The more you read, the more you learn about his nature and his character and his compassion and his provision, the bigger and the better God gets. That's why the psalmist says, I'm in awe of God. Come on, have you ever received a gift and the gift giver insists that you open it in front of them? You ever have that moment where you get the gift and you want to bring it home, but they want you to open it. They want to see your what? Your reaction. They want to see your response. And some of you are really good gift opening responders. You open the gift. You've got a great gift opening face and you you effortlessly express your gratitude and your excitement and your response leaves no question. You like the gift. And then there's others 
who have this poker face and you don't know if they're excited about what you've given them or upset or angry or what their what their feelings are and you all, you have to ask them do you, do you like it do you, is it okay do you like what i got you and the reason i ask is because i can't tell by your response and of course the size of the gift or surprise or news should be directly proportional to the size of the response, right? So the bigger the gift, the bigger the response. This is the universal law of gift response proportionality. There should be a a bigger response for a bigger gift. If you get a big gift like a car, or if you get a, a big surprise like you were accepted into that reach school that you never expected to get accepted into, or you get big news, we're going to Hawaii, all expenses paid right when when you something big happens in a big gift there's a big response and when you live in awe of god your expression of gratitude should not leave us wondering it shouldn't leave people around you wondering it shouldn't the, those who see you in the midst of of moments of big news great things victory breakthrough or in the midst of tough times that your dependence is on god and in awe of who he is, and asking and requesting for his presence to be made manifest in the midst of what you're going through. When you live in awe of God, your expression of gratitude is to the creator of the universe. All of his creation is in trust. To, to, is, it was created for your fulfillment, your enjoyment, your stewardship. Come on, all of his compassion, all of his care to protect you, and to provide you all of the cross to forgive you and make a way for you. Come on, this is a big gift. This is big news. This is a, a, a moment for a big response to a God who has done exceedingly and abundantly above all we could have asked, thought, or imagined. And some of us leave God wondering of what's in our heart because there's a duality. It happens in your heart, but it's expressed through your face, through your, through your mind, your will, your emotions, your, your physical person. So David understood this when he penned Psalm 111. And understand, Psalm 111 was written as a song of corporate worship in the temple. So David writes Psalm 111, and look what he says. He says, hallelujah, I give thanks to God with everything I've got. And, and that word hallelujah is an exclamation. Hallelujah! It's this Praise be to God. I give thanks to God with everything I've got. If you're wondering where I stand on this, the expression of gratitude, my thankfulness, I'm going to make it clear. All the praise, all the glory, all the the gratitude goes to God. I give thanks to God with everything I've got. And then he goes on to say, wherever good people gather, and in the congregation, okay, when we gather, when we're here at church, God's works are so great, worth a lifetime of study, endless enjoyment. Come on, he's living in awe of God. Verse 3 says, splendor and beauty mark his craft. His generosity never gives out. His miracles are his memorial, this God of grace, this God of love. He's living in awe of God. He goes on, verse 5. He gave food uh, to those who fear him. 
He remembered to keep his ancient promise. He proved to his people that he could do what he said, hand them, hand them the nations on a platter, a gift. Verse 7, he manufactures truth and justice. He never runs out of it. All his products are guaranteed to last. Come on, David is living in the awe of God. Come on, never out of date, never uh, obsolete, rust-proof. All that he makes and does is honest and true. He paid the ransom for his people. He ordered the covenant kept forever. He's so personal and holy, worthy of respect. Finish with this, verse 10. The good life begins in the fear of God. Do that and you'll know the blessing of God. His hallelujah lasts forever. David is living in the awe of God, and it's an attitude of heart, and it's a reaching towards God. It's a pouring out of our total self in thanksgiving and in praise and in adoration and love to the God who created us and to whom we owe everything we have and everything we are. Worship is living in and responding to the bigness of God. It's living in the awe of God. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I've had seasons where I have held back. Not because I thought God wasn't good, but because you come into seasons. And I remember one season I was in where I cared more about what others thought of my image than what God thought of my obedience. Have you ever been in that season? And, and I, I remember it after I had, it was right after I had become assistant district attorney and, and, uh, Heather and I, we're, we're coming into this new, well, we're coming back into this new church and it's the first few Sundays in the church. And I was now, uh, in, uh, in my mind, okay, this is in my mind. I was now an officer of the court. I was a public official. I would be in the public eye and, and someday I would have to run for office and run for judge. And could I afford people to know me as the guy who went to the church where they had a drum set and, and a light show and they worshiped with so much expression? And I wrestled with it. And of course, you think in those moments, everybody's looking at me in worship. We're, we just think, well, if I lift my hand, of course, everybody in here is going to know I lifted my hand. If I, if, if I sing or if I shout, or if, I, if, I really, if I close my eyes, if I really surrender in this moment, not just from my heart, but, but actually the duality of worship, the expression and obedience to God, uh, the way he's defined worship, certainly everybody's going to stop what they're doing and, and just look at me. But that's not true. And I remember wrestling with it. And then, and then I was reminded of King David in the Old Testament when he became king. And when the ark of the Lord was returning to Jerusalem. And the ark of the Lord, if you, if you know the story, if you're not familiar, it was a piece of furniture that housed God's actual literal presence in the Old Testament. It was a piece of furniture that housed God's presence. If you've seen Indiana Jones and uh, the Temple of Doom and, or the Ark of the Covenant, that, that's based on this idea. Um, it, it comes from the Old Testament that there's this piece of furniture and God would, would, his presence would abide in this Ark so that he could have relationship and have um, these moments of exchange with his people. And so 
his literal presence would come visit here and visit in this place. So God himself, along with all of his blessing and all of his favor, and when this happens, the ark is coming back to Jerusalem. So God's blessing is coming back to Jerusalem. God's favor is coming back to Jerusalem because his presence carries with him his nature, his goodness, his promises. And it says that King David worshiped in the streets as the ark came down through the streets of Jerusalem, that David danced in front of the ark through the streets with such an abandonment. And and some looked down on him for it. But David had determined, they didn't make me king. God made me king. I'm going to live in the awe of God. He determined that they didn't keep me safe. God kept me safe. While an evil king, Saul, and all his entire army was chasing him. And David determined, I'm going to live in the awe of God, not the fear of man. They didn't rescue me. God rescued me from the lion and the bear. I'm living in the awe of God. They didn't put me in front of Goliath. God put me there. And then God strengthened me. And then God enabled me. And he took that simple slingshot and a, and a, and a, a, a humbling, smooth stone and, and this heart-playing God-worshiping shepherd defeats a giant because that shepherd was living in awe of God. When we are impacted by God's kindness, God's provision, God's compassion, God's protection, we respond. Worship involves all of us as first responders to God's goodness. It's not for, come on, I I just want to encourage you today. Worship is not for the weirdos. Worship is not for the wackos. It's not for the self-indulgent. It's not for the dramatically self-expressive. Worship is not for the super spiritual. Worship is not a charismatic anomaly. It's really, worship is a human necessity. It's for people who need hope. It's for people who need God. It's for people who know he's the way, the truth, and the life. And we've all been looking for who God is in the midst of all the distractions that we come to find and and give our affection to, whether it's your job, right? All of us worship. Come on, all of us worship. Whether you know it or not, you worship. Whether it's at the ball game and and you're watching the sporting event and your hands are up in the V formation because the kick was good, right? Or whether you're at the club and you're dancing and you're rejoicing and you're celebrating and you're letting off steam, right? Or whether you got the job or the promotion and yes, and I love my job and I love my boss, or whether you're talking about relationships and you're texting, you're the best, I love you, you're the greatest, I so appreciate you, right? We all worship, We all, because we were wired to express gratitude. We were wired to express thanks, but what we've been looking for, he's the good father. He's the faithful friend. He's the lover of our soul. He's the healer of our hearts. Worship is for people who recognize and respond. God is, I'm, I'm living in awe of God. And the closer I get, the more amazing he becomes. The art of worship, your life and your worship are painting a picture. Come on, they're painting a picture of what you love. You're painting a picture of what you love for the world to see. Your life of worship, what's your, what's your gallery of gratitude? going to look like? What's your gallery of thankfulness and worship saying to the world around you? Uh, He worships money. Well, he worships celebrity status. 
He worships power. He worships, there's on and on and on of the things that we give our affection and our devotion to, but living in awe of God. God has been good. Come on. God came through for me. I'm grateful. I'm thankful because he's so faithful. It's an expression of gratitude. And people are like, man, that's kind of, are you weird because you worship like that? Everybody worships. What are you worshiping? Everybody dances. Everybody lifts their hands. Come on. Everybody lifts their voice. Everybody rejoices. Everybody makes a, a, a joyful noise. It's just whether it's over a game or a dollar or a deal or it's over a God. Don't mind me. We're just over here living in awe of God. Don't mind me, but we're just over here saying God is everything we've been looking for. And our response to that inward attitude, that revelation is to respond to him in worship. I want to pray for you right now. For those who need to respond to this message, I want to pray for you right now. Are you ready? If you, if you need to respond to this message, and, and you know you need to go to another level. You need to work on the art. of You've been finger painting the, the art of worship, but God wants you and the, the creative genius that resides inside of you to respond to the creative wonder of the God who made you and has a plan and a purpose for you. So if you want to just be, go a little deeper in worship over the next few weeks, Father, we pray right now. Your word says that you are looking for worshipers, so we ask for boldness today as we seek to grow in our expression of worship, as we want to live in awe of who you are. Father, as we draw close to you, Father, we thank you that your word says that you will draw close to us. And Father, we ask for a revelation that leads to a response, an attitude that leads to an action to say, God, you are worthy to be praised. And now I want to pray for one more group of people. I want to pray for those who don't feel like you're worthy to worship. If you don't feel like you're worthy to worship, you might feel like, well, I don't qualify. God wouldn't listen to my worship. What that really means is you don't know God's gift of salvation for you. You don't know the gift of God's grace. And Philippians 3 says we can worship God in the spirit. We can worship God in the spirit and, that, and have no confidence in the flesh. We don't worship God because we're confident that we've lived right or that we've, we've somehow qualified ourselves that we're holy now because of what we've done and what we've said. No, we worship God in the spirit. And, and it says, and we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We rejoice in who Jesus is because Jesus is the way maker. Jesus is the one who died and rose again on the third day. And in that act of self-sacrifice and resurrection, took upon himself the payment of my sin, the penalty of my sin rested with him in the grave. And then he was raised from the dead. And the Bible says that when we look to Christ, he extends by virtue of the act of the cross, forgiveness of sins. And so we can now rejoice. We can now worship, not because of what we've done in, a, in our own lives to earn it, but because of what Jesus has done to gift grace and forgiveness to us. And so I want to pray with you right now. If you know that's for you, you're just going to repeat this simple prayer with me right where you are, all of us nice and loud, all together, all campuses. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins.
I open the door of my life to you. I ask you to come in as my Savior and my Lord. Take control of my life. Thank you for being willing to die. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Now say this boldly. I am a Christian. By grace I've been saved. In Jesus' name, amen.